Hello and welcome to A Penny for Your Thoughts with me, Maria Alonso. First of all, happy Easter. It's Good Friday today. We have a great Easter weekend ahead of us. Easter always makes me so happy. I feel it's when spring officially starts, everyone's outside and happy. I will be baking monas, the typical Easter pastry in Spain, with my mom and grandma tomorrow. And then also going on an Easter egg hunt with my cousins. So yeah, Easter traditions, I think, are always so much fun. Um, yeah, feel free to drop me a chat on Instagram on what your Easter traditions are. So, on to this third episode of A Penny for Your Thoughts. Today, we will be speaking about classic cars. We'll cover what it takes to spot a treasure when it's covered in dust, how the process of restoration of a classic car is, and also we'll understand where the motivation and passion to do such thing comes from. Joining me, I have a great friend, Kilian O'Neill. Kilian lives in Cork, south of Ireland. He is a student of sustainable energy engineering. He's a creativity whiz and digital marketing entrepreneur. He has a passion for the automotive industry and a very cool project and adventure, which he will be sharing with us today on A Penny for Your Thoughts was the restoration of his grandparents' Ford Fiesta XR2 of 1982. So, enough of me speaking. Hey, Killian, how are you? Hello, hello, hello. How are we? Really good. Good, good. It's, it's, this, is, this is such a great idea, I have to say. Uh, with all the lockdowns and not really speaking to people, this is a really, really great idea. Yeah. Um, great to think that. Um, so, I, I just gave a really short intro, but I'm curious, where do you get your passion for classic cars from? Um, I think, um, I guess with all these kind of interests, you probably are handed them from your parents. Um, so my dad is, well, I, I think it's from my dad, but he's really big into motorbikes. So he has uh, two or three different kind of motorbikes. Um, I think also my mum, I, I suspect my mum is a massive petrol head, so I get it from her as well. Um, but unlike my dad, she always keeps cars in very good condition, but my dad tends to... Um, how would you say he kind of runs them to the ground? So yeah, <laughs> we'll say we'll say both. But yeah, we'll say we'll get it from my, both my parents. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I feel like it's always the dad being scared that the mom destroys the car. It's funny. Yeah, yeah, the other yeah. Way around it's the other way around case. in our house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and when you were a kid, like how when did it start that you like that interest sparked in you? Like were you looking at auctions or were you directly interested in your granddad's car? Um, so for me, it probably started, uh, the whole interest started probably when I was in like primary school. Uh, and I remember instead of listening in math class or whatever you were doing when you were in like, you know, junior infants, senior infants, um, we used to trade matchbox cars. So these little Hot Wheels cars and all the kids, like the, the, they were probably like five or six. And we used to trade these cars between each other as if we were like car dealers or whatever. Um, and I think even from that stage, I went into drawing cars uh, and it was a big competition between people as to who had what car, what Hot Wheels version. 
uh, and who had, you know, what drawing or whatever. So I think that's where things began initially. Um, when I was then, of course, when I grew up and I kind of understood the, the differences in historic cars and classic cars and, you know, Edwardian vehicles and, and all the rest of us. Um, I love this idea of discovering um, a car that had been untouched for decades, this kind of narrative of, you know, you open the doors to this rusty barn somewhere and there's this car covered in dust, you know, a complete like time capsule. Um, and for whatever reason, that that really captured my attention. Um, and I think around 20, 2010, uh, the, uh, there's many car auctions that um, were uh, their highlight of their auctions. So Oram, Sotheby's, um, uh, a few auctions in the US, um, their highlight um, auctions were always these cars that have been pulled out of barn finds and they'd be the centerpiece of the auction. You might have, you know, this immaculate restored car that was going for a few hundred thousand dollars. And then you'd have this car that was just, you know, flat tires covered in dust, been pulled out of this thing, hadn't been run in like 20, 30 years or whatever, but it had a, a narrative to it. And, and for some reason, those cars were selling for like exponential um, prices considering the condition of them. Um, so I think there's the kind of an emotional attachment that people have, you know, when they see there's a story attached to uh, an inanimate object like a car. I think in a way people have their own, um, we're quite attached to cars in many ways. They're not just, you know, boxes with four wheels. Um, anyway, there's the story of, of the classic car that my, my grandfather bought. Um, he worked in the Dunlop factory in Cork. Uh, which was right down the way from where they... Is Dunlop the tennis brand? Yes, yes. Okay, they, well, okay. Yeah, they were making tires as well. So they, they, they was a big, it was like a rubber manufacturer, I think was the okay. was the plant. And uh, they were right down the way from the Ford plant. And there's a big thing in Cork where we say that, you know, Ford Motor Company is an Irish company with an American extension um, because Henry Ford himself was, well, he, he's, he, he's from um, where he comes from. Um, down the road where near where I live, actually, so that's where his his homestead would have been. Oh, this the, all these proud Irish. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Americans as Irish. I always yeah, love yeah, it. Yeah, that's it. That's <laughs> it. Yeah, well, we tell them that, but shh, yeah. Um, so anyway, the Ford factory was built at the Marina plant in Cork City, and my grandfather only ever bought Fords. Uh, I think it's a Cork. It must be a Cork thing with certain families in in Cork City where they only supported their own. Um, and then my mom said when she was learning to drive that her grandfather said, look, you can buy whatever car you want, but I'll only service a Ford. Um, and so my grandfather retired from working in Dunlops. He took early retirement and he bought himself uh, this Ford Fiesta XR2 um, as a retirement gift to himself. Uh, and I, I still think now when he retired, I think he was maybe 58. So he was fairly young when he retired. Uh, and he went off and he bought this little car with a big engine and it had these stripes down the side of us and these pepper pot wheels. Um, and my grandmother tells the story, the first time she saw the car, she was carrying groceries um, back from the, the local shop. And she heard this car roaring down the avenue behind her and she thought, who is this lunatic driving around like this? And she turned around, it was my grandfather driving this car down uh, into their housing estate. And yeah, she said after that, um, you know, he, he never really uh, took his foot off the pedal. Uh, my uncle, uh, who's the, the youngest in, in my mom's family, uh, he learned to drive on the car, he, or he learned to drive when he was seven or eight. He sat in my grandfather's um, 
my grandfather's driving the car and he's and he sat on his lap and he started steering um and so they have all these uh stories that are connected to us and my uncle said that uh no one would, would travel with my grandfather in this car because <laughs> there's a huge rivalry between volkswagen and uh well volkswagen golf and the Ford Fiesta for some reason. Um, and there was the, the GTI version came out in the 80s and it would have been a competitor to this car that my grandfather had. And there's a, a very a straight road um, leaving Cork City. And uh, there was a guy in one of these Volkswagen Golf GTIs came up behind my grandfather and overtook him. And my, my uncle, who at the time was probably maybe eight or nine, he said, my grandfather... He lit up with rage and he dropped a gear and he just floored it past his car because he couldn't live with himself to think that he was overtaken by a faster car. So, yeah, I mean, it's crazy. Um, all these stories that, that are with it. like so. It's interesting to hear the story of a classic car before it was a, a classic car. Yeah, um, yeah. And now I'm interested, like, how was the process of you finding this Ford Fiesta XR2 and deciding... Okay, I'm gonna remove the dust and I'm gonna bring you up back to life. Yeah, um, well, I guess I think the first point it was probably 2014, 2015, um, and we had just moved back from the Middle East, um, and we were looking at these old pictures of when um, my mum was younger, and there was this picture of her with the like this 80s hairdo and these like shoulder pads, real 80s fashion. And uh, in the back of the picture was the front end of this car. And I'm like, oh, what's that in the background? And they said, oh, yeah, that's your grandfather's car. Your uncle still has this in storage somewhere. And I was like, oh, really? Oh, we, should, we should have a look at that. And I spoke to my dad and I said, look, wouldn't it be great if we brought this back on the road and presented it back to my granddad and said, look, you know, this is your old car. But like, obviously, he, he'd never forgotten this. Uh, and he'd still tell me stories about it because his even though he's he's 93 at the moment, um, his mind is fresh, so he remembers every single detail, you know. Uh, but his but his body is is not in the same place, which is why he's mm. um, yeah, it's why he's where he is. Um, and uh, anyway, went to my grandfather's or my uncle's house, and he was uh, he was actually renovating his kitchen. And so my dad said, "Look, we'll we'll do a deal. You know, we'll we'll buy the car off you. We'll restore it ourselves. We'll keep it in the family." put it back on the road and then you can you know obviously upgrade your kitchen so that was the deal and so my parents went into my uncle's house to sign the paperwork uh, and you know whatever else and I was left alone with the the car and uh, I actually made a, a YouTube series just about the renovation or the restoration of this car and there was a moment where I, I'm stood in front of the car it's covered in dust and styrofoam the wheels are off of it um, you know, the paint has kind of faded. It's, it's obviously been sat there for a while. And there was this kind of really special moment where I realized that I was the third generation of this family that was still coming back to this car and had some weird emotional attachment that I couldn't really explain to anyone. Um, and for some reason now it was kind of fallen to me to, to carry it over. So uh, it was quite emotional actually seeing the car in that state. And uh, we, anyway, we arranged for the car to be uh, taken on a recovery truck and we uh, we started the process of restoring it. Um, neither myself nor my dad are, uh, we're not mechanics. Uh, we're both, well, my dad is an engineer, I'm studying engineering, so we have some ability toward it. 
Um, but you know, it's 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 not what pe- people think. It's not as straightforward as you think. You know, you've got to you've got to start making mistakes and learn. You know, it's like a new process. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like family family emotions are always so special, as you said, like passing it from generation to generation. Yeah, yeah, like an heirloom. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then with regards to your YouTube series, I'll add the link in the description of of the podcast. But I need to put a, a caution over that because I recorded it when I was maybe 13, 14, 15. So the editing is atrocious. But anyway, we'll have a laugh. Yeah. Well, the the car, the four Fiesta XR2 is the star. <laughs> so that's fine. We'll still add the link. Um, and then, yeah, continuing with what you were saying before, um, like your dad's, like you have some engineering interest and you're studying that. But like, I guess restoring a classic car is just so specific. So like where and how did you learn or these technical skills that you needed to restore it? Or did you get help from mechanics professionals? Sure. So um, I guess the, the process began, uh, my dad actually, when he was much younger, he worked uh, not as a mechanic, but he worked on heavy machinery. Um, and he had the, um, he may not have had the expertise to go at these things, but he certainly had felt that he, he could approach it. So uh, the first thing we did, we put the car, um, we, we took off the loader and the clutch was stuck. So the clutch plate was stuck to the car so you couldn't change gear. And it wouldn't come out of gear, so you couldn't actually, um, you couldn't really move the car. And so what we did is uh, we first uh, freed the clutch, and then we took the top half of the engine off, so the the, the head of the engine. And because this car is pre nineteen ninety, it ran or it does run, it still does run on leaded petrol. So we have unleaded, but that has to have an additive, which is really potent to keep the car running. Um, but that's just the way it was before. So wow. um, we tried to see, you know, can we convert this thing to unleaded? You know, is that a better option? Uh, we took it to a specialist um, uh, engine company in Cork City. Um, and weirdly, they looked at the engine and they knew exactly what it was. They said, oh, this is a 1.6 cross low engine. And, you know. Well, they had the Ford factory there. So maybe. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> I guess that's true, you know. But it's still really uh, specific. Yeah, and uh, anyway, there was a problem. We, we couldn't uh, we couldn't uh, convert it to being a leaded uh, engine because of the, uh, the proximity of the cylinders to each other. Um, but then, yeah, the the exhaust on the car was was all rotted out uh, and rusted. And you know, if you started the car, it, it made so much noise because there was no silencer. Uh, you know, the the, the converter, the catalytic converter, everything was just ruined. So. We took that off and my dad had a new one. He commissioned a new one to be made uh, and we fitted that um, and we took it to uh, a local paint shop and they they repainted it in, in the, the same style it would have been. Um, and they put the stickers back on, which are a really 80s um, pattern down the side. It's just so 80s looking at this car. Um, and we didn't do anything with the interior. Uh, my grandfather, outside of working in Dunlops, he was a... Uh, uh, he, well, a self-taught carpenter, so he made wooden boats um, and sailed in the um, he sailed in the in the model yacht club. So he's an enthusiastic. Um, I wouldn't say he was a sailor, but he had an interest in in um, the technical side of constructing boats and that kind of thing, and and the challenge of making it miniature. So what he did is he removed a part of the center console, and he rebuilt it in uh, mahogany. So. 
part of the interior in this car has mahogany um, console where the radio and there's a clock housed in it. Um, wow. So, I mean, that's totally unique. That's totally unique to the car. Piece of art. Yeah, yeah piece of art. Um, and so that's that's really a part of him that's, that's in the car. Um, but, you know, it's typical my grandfather, he built it like down to a pin, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing to think that it's still in great shape now. Mm. Um, and, uh, anyway, once the engine was, was working, uh, I can still remember when we first started the car, we had the, the firing order was reversed, uh, on the, um, in spark plugs. So we actually, we got that straight and it took a while to kick over. I remember the first time it started, it was just, I mean, it's, it's like bringing something back to life. It really is like, you know, with the, uh, you know, restarting a heart, like it, it really is a, a really Your dramatic joy. moment. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so then I guess apart from that, I mean, it was really like a, a very heavy service. We replaced some of the, um, a lot of the rubbers would have corroded because of the age mm. of the car. So we re- replaced some of the, um, the brake lines and that kind of thing for safety. Um, but I mean, apart from that, really, um, you know, it was good to go. So we, mm. we had it registered again, uh, with the tax office, um, we had the insurance and, and off we went. So yeah, it's, um, it's, it's great to have it. And, um, of course that video that you saw on my Instagram page that was recorded in, I think it was July, 2015. And we brought the car, uh, back to my grandfather. So yeah, that was a really, really special I day. Will, I will also share that that link to your Instagram. And my next question was actually on the lines of that. My next question was, what was your grandfather's emotion when he saw his car, reminding him to all his youth adventures, and when he saw it again restored? Like, did was he aware that you were doing this process or was it like a surprise at the end? Yeah, yeah, we, we tried to keep it a surprise as best we could. Um, but I think something leaked along the way where someone hinted at it. Um, actually, what I did was it was his birthday and I bought him a, a model version of the car, the same color, you know, the same, you know, spec, everything else. And I think he might have realized that there was, you know, there was something reemerging about this car from that. Um, but he didn't. Um, I remember thinking my grandfather's not an emotional person. He's quite, you know, strong in many ways. Um, but he, I think he was overwhelmed because he had all these memories flooding back to him, mm. but, uh, yeah, he, he's too old, unfortunately, to, to climb into the car now because it's so low, uh, he's on crutches. But my, my uncle who kept the car in storage, he certainly drove us, uh, and he, he drove it quite hard actually. So yeah, he, he definitely enjoyed the car. Yeah. But, um, a really special moment to, to present that to somebody. You know, after yeah. putting uh, probably, you know, that was that was probably a year's worth of work into the car. But, you know, it's not it's not finished. Uh, there's certainly things that, that I want to do to the car. You know, there's, there's rust in some places that I want to get sorted because I want to preserve it. Uh, but that kind of bodywork is expensive. So, you know, that will be down the road when I when I graduate or whatever. I'll get around to that. Yeah. Yeah, just the polishings. But if you said your uncle took it on a heavy drive, it's it's up. Yeah, it's up and running. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so good. But so now I'll move away a bit from, from this great story. And I have more of a broad question on the classic cars industry, because personally, this is the first insight I've I've had into classic cars. So I'm just curious, like what defines 
a wood a good classic card like where you were mentioning like Sotheby's and all these auction houses have them so what you like that you know like you um what do you look for when looking for a good classic car I think um I think ultimately the the market is dictated by um personal taste and that's influenced by what we see when we're kids or when we're teenagers so for an example we have um for example the uh you might have remembered the there was a white Lamborghini Countach that was in the Wolf of Wall Street you know that mm-hmm. that part where he's he's climbing into the car and his leg yeah. is up in the air and he's trying to get in and that car was a complete poster car for a lot of guys that were you know guys and women that were in um the 80s in that period and as soon as people kind of get to the age of 40 50 they always go back and think oh maybe i can afford to buy this so if there's if there's such thing as a formula around you know where you should buy what you should buy it's usually a case of whatever was desirable um in periods so at the moment we're seeing a lot of cars from the 1990s are really coming up in value because they're approaching the 25 30 um age limit where you can get these car on insurance so it's much cheaper to run them um what you look for in a classic uh if you want something that will appreciate you need to have documentation so uh, things like the original manual the original brochure if you have that uh complete service history with a decent garage um that's normally straightforward but people would appreciate if you have kind of miscellaneous items um you know like the the original booklets for the car for example and the original key ring and the original license plate and all this kind of stuff that adds to the story of the car um and then it really dictates you know that there's uh anything from like the first generation fiat panda most people would think that was just designed to be you know like a one 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 use car you just use it and then you put it in the skip because it doesn't have any residuals but those cars are coming back because people see there's character in in things like that um on the other end of the scale you have cars you know you have um the first generation BMW 7 series which was way ahead of its time um that is coming back up in value even though that's a complete gas guzzler you have the the um you know there's a lot of 90s cars and cars that kind of defined an era they will always be you know at the top of people's minds mm-hmm. um but then there's you know obviously there's people's taste is is varied and some people have very specific taste um but yeah there's 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 always um there's always a market for something that's been well kept uh, sure. regardless of how important it is how 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 expensive it was when it was new um there's always an interest in something that's been preserved uh and that's unusual i think unusual a car that's unusual and stands out really um that's what people look for um very interesting i personally have a car from 1999 so now I know to keep the booklet, the keys, everything in perfect state. You have it. For in 10, 20 years, become rich with my car. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe I'm too emotionally attached and then I can't. <laughs> yeah. See, that's it too. Yeah. D- don't go down my route. You know, don't, don't get too attached to these cars, you know. Um, but yeah, that's... Yeah, what were you saying? Yeah, sorry. That's that's the other side of it. Um uh, like a lot of people when they see the XR2 uh typically if they know what it is and they know that it's a, it's it's the it's quite a rare car nowadays um they will say like we we pulled up at the petrol station recently and uh someone said um 
I didn't know who he was. I never met him before in my life. And he said to me, uh, I'll give you 9,000 for that car. And he was just using the other petrol station opposite us. And we're like, no, we, we can't sell it. You know, it's, it's mm. in the family. And he's like, okay, 10,000. And we're like, no, no, like we can't sell it. Um, mm. I mean, I think that the value of the car probably is more than that, but I, I couldn't sell it, uh, even yeah. if it's 100,000 because of the, the connection. So, I mean, there, there's kind of a, a juxtaposition there. A lot of people buy cars uh, as investments. Uh, the problem with the XR2 is you keep it, you have it as an, you put money into it as an investment um, and it appreciates, but you can never sell it. So you can never get that money back. Um, you know, so that's the other side of if you have an emotional attachment, you can't actually release the value. Um, so yeah, that's that's another side of if it's a, if it's an actual investment from a business perspective, then you know that's a different story. But yeah, a family car, it, it's hard to sell these. No, no, yours forever. And now, Killian, one last short, quick question: What would you say are your top three classic cars or top one? I don't know if you have. My top three classic cars. Um, I've always had a thing for, uh, in the 70s, Mercedes were pursuing, um, you know, they're known as the best built cars, you know, Mercedes, they're way up there in terms of, you know, reliability and uh, being advanced. But in the 70s, especially Mercedes were really pursuing that, uh, regardless of what it's going to cost them, they were just going to build this uh, the best that it could be. And they had a, uh, in the 70s, the late 60s, they had a Mercedes-Benz 280SE 3.5. So it was a, uh, it was a two-door car. Uh, it was a convertible or a hardtop, but it is the most, uh, I think that the design of that car is, is amazing. It's so Mercedes. It's got the thin wheel uh, and it's got the secondary circle around the inside wheel. And that's the actual horn, but it's, everything is built in chrome. Um, you know, it's just uh, a complete land yacht. You know, this thing is huge, but mm -hmm. it's it's such a statement, I think, because again, it's it's kind of like Mercedes were defining. You know, we're pursuing the best here, the best or nothing. I guess that's our that's their slogan, um, and that was really them kind of finding their feet again. From you know, after the war, the 1940s, the 50s, they kind of were stagnant for a few years, but they really found their feet um, from that. So that's a car that I've always liked. Um, it's probably quite cliche, but I think a Series 1 E-Type Jaguar is, uh, I mean, that is, you know. That one, uh, that one I know. <laughs> yeah, that one you know, yeah. Even Enzo Ferrari said, you know, this is the best looking car in the world, you know. Um, so I, I, either that, an E-Type or an XK120, which is the earlier version, uh, I think those cars, again, you know, they're just so elegant. Um, and again, that was the peak um motor industry in the UK in the 50s, where they were just saying, you know what, we won the war, so let's just build these <laughs> awesome cars and we don't really care. Um, so again, that car was just pushing the boundaries. Uh, the XK120 was the first road car to have disc brakes on it. So they had, they raced at Le Mans and they brought this technology from the racetrack onto the road. And that was, again, like the E-Type, the E-Type was much faster than any Ferrari when it was, it was made. So, you know, these cars were kind of, they had something to prove, I think. And that's why nowadays we look at them and we can appreciate, you know, what they were trying to achieve. Um, so, yeah, those are those are three cars that I particularly like. Um, but, you know, there, I, there could be anything on the road I'd spot. And I think, wow, that's that's quite an interesting car, even if it's from, you know, 1995 and no one cares about it. And it's worth, you know, 600 euro, 500 euro. It, it's still rare, you know, and it's something that we've we've lost touch with, uh, you know, as people buy newer cars and they're being replaced. So, yeah, it's um 
it's definitely down to personal taste, I think. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Well, Kilian, maybe I will in the future sell my car to you. Yeah. <laughs> in the meantime, <laughs> thank you very much for your time, for sharing such a personal story with me and well with all the audience. It's it's been a pleasure and also so eye-opening to to yeah to contrast that like personal attachment to a car and then the investment side of it. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. And I hope I didn't bore too many people with the details. So that's what we want. That's what we need for <laughs> the deeds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thanks, Julian. Thank you very much for your